0: Good morning. It's Tuesday, November the 28th, 2023. Welcome to Now with Dave Brown, coming to you on AMI-tv. I'm Dave Brown. Let's hit the horns and go. Coming up on the show today, advocacy groups are calling for a national caregiving strategy reporter megan gilmore will share more on this story coming juno awards in halifax laura bain tells you about road to the junos in today's entertainment report and it's another edition of the weekly news quiz alicia yardley from the human resources department stops by so will karen mcgee content development specialist and co-host of the show alex smythe They'll all be part of that contest. So stay tuned for that one. That's how the show will wrap up in about an hour and 45 minutes. But between now and then, there is oh so much to do, including the top story of the day, which comes from the world of federal politics. The federal NDP says there's still enough time for the Liberals to meet their deadline for introducing Pharmacare legislation. Lisa Laporte has the latest.
1: NDP spokesperson Alana Cahill says her party was very clear that the Liberals' first draft of a Pharmacare bill missed the mark and didn't guarantee coverage for everyone. While the Supply and Confidence Agreement between the two parties requires a Canada Pharmacare Act to be passed before the end of this year, it doesn't stipulate that an actual program be up and running anytime soon. There's less than three weeks worth of sittings before the House of Commons rises for a winter break. Lisa Laporte, the Canadian Press. And then looking at
0: something of a weather story here, cities across the country are grappling with the rising cost of snow removal Don Kelly shovels out this report.
2: Oh, the weather outside is frightful.
3: Montreal has one of the biggest snow clearing operations in the world, and it'll spend about $200 million this winter clearing 10,000 kilometers of streets, sidewalks, and even some bike paths. Edmonton's snow clearing budget's increasing by the year, and even balmy Vancouver's seen its costs steadily rise. An urban planner says snowfall management's a huge challenge for elected officials because of the variable nature of weather and residents' anger if it isn't done right. Don Kelly, the Canadian Press.
0: It is no doubt an important urban policy because when you don't do snow removal, yes, people get very, very cranky. Of course, Toronto has their theory of, oh, it snowed, maybe it will melt. And in the meantime, figure it out yourself. Or call in the military if it gets really bad. Another story for you, this one coming from the world of health and science. A new report from Stats Canada shows that life expectancy is declining in Canada. Emily Javesky takes a closer look.
3: The report shows New Brunswick saw the biggest decline in life expectancy last year, dropping to 89.8 years from 80.9 in 2021. Saskatchewan's life expectancy has fallen the most over the past three years combined, dropping a full two years to 78 and a half. Cancer and heart disease were the leading causes of death, accounting for nearly 42% of all deaths last year, while COVID-19 caused about 6% of deaths. Emily Jovesky, the Canadian Press.
0: And one more story for you. It is Giving Tuesday, a day when charities and not-for-profits are going to be looking for donations after you did a whole bunch of capitalism over the last four days. Maybe you're feeling a little guilty, so giving to a charity is something that you would like to do. Well, charities are looking at new ways to raise money in public spaces. Mike debusky has a story about giving
3: machines. They're called giving machines, where instead of getting a soda or a candy bar, you're actually donating to the charity of your choice. Jennifer Alt is with the American Red Cross, which has its own donation options in the machine.
4: Everything from being able to supply measles, rubella vaccinations to children, to being able to help victims of disaster with food after disaster or shelter.
3: But no matter what you pick.
4: We're just so grateful to every single person that thinks about other people that may need help, that may need
3: support.
0: Mike Deboski, ABC News. And you can find giving machines in 55 cities around the world, including one in Canada. There is one. In Calgary. That's your look at the news. Here come the daily polls at Accessible Media on Twitter, at Accessible Media Inc. on Facebook. Monday, you were asked consultations are underway for the National Disability Benefit. What is your biggest priority in the benefits design? 42.9% of you said the amount. 33.3% of you said eligibility criteria. 11.1% of you said ease of applying. And 12.7% of you said other. We had a response over here on Twitter slash X at Accessible Media. Paul tweets in, it's important to ensure the benefit is effective in its purpose to reduce poverty among people with disabilities. The priority should be to make this legislation as inclusive as possible to get help to as many people who need it. And Lilana tweets in, at Accessible Media Other, that the benefit is free of clawbacks. Otherwise, what's the point? I think to a degree that's kind of included in amount, right? That if the amount is right, it should sort of stipulate there's no clawbacks. But but Lilan is right. That is one of the big hurdles that the federal government is going to be facing. Even after they say, here is the benefit, they've got to go talk to provinces and make sure there are no provincial clawbacks to provincial disability support. So, uh, you know, the federal government and the provinces always playing nice. I'm sure that's going to go really easy. Today's Daily Poll, a little bit bit of lighter fare, but tis the season when you have to start thinking about what your holiday generosity looks like. So I'm curious, what is the best low-cost holiday gift? Is it baked goods, a card, Crafts, of course, you can go off the board and write in other. Uh Becky Czar, columnist in Saskatchewan, is stopping by in about an hour and ten minutes to give you some advice on how to get some holiday baked goodies ready for friends and family. So that'll that'll be a good one. So baked goods. I know from the reception point of view. I'm always delighted when i get baked goods as a gift I, I just think that's a really nice thing to be handed out and it's something that i can make very good use of so laura bain my vote on this one is baked goods even though nobody would want baked goods made by me
5: right so that's just it dave so i i'm Honestly, happy to get all three of these things, and for me, it kind of is a thought that counts. Yes, I think people should lean into their strengths. So, all things being equal, I'm maybe going to choose baked goods. Although I was sort of torn with crafts, crafts because like baked goods you eat, but then uh, crafts you can have around forever. That's kind of nice. Uh, but I don't, yeah, I'd rather have a card or a craft from someone who's maybe not the not the most <laughs> talented in the kitchen. <laughs> Sounds yeah. like from you, Dave, I want a card or a craft, please.
0: Yeah, it, it, for me, you're probably getting a uh, tube of uh, cookie dough that was bought at the store and that eventually put in the oven. So that's why maybe a baked good for me is not necessarily the, uh, the best option uh, on earth. And, uh, uh, you know, a craft is nice. The problem with a craft, Alex Smythe, is that it might just turn into clutter around the house. Yeah, and, and
6: the thing this is kind of goes back to what Laura said, it really depends on the person's strengths. If, if if they're really good at it, and it's something that's really meaningful and memorable, you'll find a great spot for it. And, and it will be something that will you'll remember. But, you know, there's oftentimes you, you get gifts and it's just like, Oh, uh, thank you very much. But then you, it kind of sits on the shelf. And then you just kind of look and it's like, okay, why do I still have it for me I'm always the baked goods guy and that's just because too like I I love cooking I love baking so that is part of it and every single like holiday season me and my mom we will literally bake I think like six different types of cookies at any given type uh, any given uh, season so you know it's going to be a combination of different favorites and and trying new ones out old classics so we like to to uh, spread the wealth a little bit and and give some of them as gifts to to people. Just be like, hey, you know, we made a a batch of 48 cookies times six. Here, have some cookies, enjoy. And, you know, usually people are quite happy with it.
0: Alex, is there a tin involved? Is there a box involved? Some sort of decorative uh, presentation for it? Or is it just a Ziploc Uh, bag?
6: You know, it, it depends on the person. If it's someone we're not gonna see for a while, it's probably gonna be a Ziploc bag or maybe there's a dollar store tin that we will go well pick one up and and then you can you don't worry about it getting back but we have these like reusable plastic tubs that we really enjoy for storing the cookies. So if it's someone that we're going to see on a regular basis that we know we can get that tub back, that's what's going to going to go to them because we want that tub back. We need that tub <laughs> yeah, back. Yeah,
0: those tubs aren't free. Those tubs aren't free. You need those back for sure. Okay, here's a question of practicality. By the yeah. way, it's lovely when someone sends out a Christmas card. Like, like I'm always happy when someone mm-hmm. sends me a holiday card. I'm, I'm delighted by it. But how long until that card ends up in the recycling? Because I would say I'm reaching the the point where the card might not even make it to christmas day anymore before it ends up in the recycling so alex be honest how long before the card ends up in the recycling
6: so we have a tradition that basically in our kitchen we have like an area where you can dine in and there's blinds that go all around so we actually hang all the christmas cards that we get on top of the blinds because there's a little like cap on it and so we, we kind of collect them all until after New Year's. And once we do the post Christmas cleaning, that's when those cards typically go, unless it's something very, very special, very meaningful. But um, yeah, we will keep them until
0: at least after New Year's. Laura, be honest here. How long before that card ends up in the recycling?
5: Yeah, same as Alex. You know, we had a tradition in my house growing up where the cards were sort of hung around a, like an inner door frame, maybe taped up or sticky tack, I'm not sure. But I like having them on display. I kind of do that. And I mean, I'm lazy with getting so they become like a Christmas decoration, I'd say. And then I'm kind of lazy with getting rid of my Christmas decoration. So I don't know, February?
0: okay all right i guess i guess as has been evidenced by a lot of this holiday talk in the last couple weeks i am a a cold-hearted soul i am a cold-hearted uh scrooge or grinch or a scrinch whatever you want to call me i guess i'm on the outside looking in on this one at accessible media on twitter at accessible media inc on facebook what is the best low-cost holiday gift baked goods card crafts Maybe I should have uh, broadened that out to say sort of any kind of food item, but I just don't know if anybody would want a Tupperware full of uh, mac and cheese that I uh, made on the fly. Feel free to chime in on social media at Accessible Media on Twitter at Accessible Media Inc. on Facebook. You can also get involved via email feedback at ami.ca feedback at ami.ca or you pick up the phone and give the show a ring-a-ding-a-ding in one 509-4545 that's one 509 4545. Special shout out to community reporters in Sault Ste. Marie, Dorothy McNaughton, who sent us a whole bunch of baked goods last year. That was delightful. And a columnist on the show and founder of A New Vision, Anupala, came by the office last week and dropped off a whole bunch of uh, Belgian chocolate. Still hoarding that one in my office, but I will share that with the control room eventually. Eventually. Jeff Ryman ate a bunch of my chocolate recently senior show producer on Kelly and Rumya. He found some chocolate that I had in there. He sniffed it out and he ate it all. But that's okay. We love Jeffy. Coming up after the break, CBC Music has announced a concert series to celebrate the upcoming Juno Awards in Halifax. Laura Bain tells you about Road to the Junos in the entertainment Reports. This is Now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv and in audio at amiplus.ca now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. In just a couple of minutes, Laura Bain will stop by with the entertainment report. But before that, I've got the regional news updates. Starting in British Columbia, members of the public attending council meetings and other public events at Vancouver City Hall will now go through an enhanced security screening process. The city says the change is about an evolving security environment the city released no specifics about specific security concerns other cities have taken similar steps at their city halls and i'll tell you that's just a little teensy smidge of copy but i want to dive into this l- deeper later in the week as part of the uh, news panel with michelle McQuig and joey de gupta about uh growing distance between Canadians and their elected officials. So that's just a little amuse-bouche for you. I'll have a couple more details later in the week. Over to the prairies. The Alberta government will use its Sovereignty Act to oppose federal electricity regulations. Bill Graveland has the story.
3: Premier Danielle Smith says the act allows the province to reject federal laws and policies it deems harmful, and that would include Ottawa's plan to implement requirements of a net-zero electricity grid by 2035.
7: We refuse to go along with this plan.
3: The resolution also instructs the government to work with industry, regulators, and other groups to study the feasibility of establishing a provincial crown corporation to bring and maintain more reliable and affordable electricity onto the grid. Bill Graveland, the Canadian Press.
0: A few provinces over, the Manitoba government has introduced a bill to make the National Day for Truth and Reconciliation a statutory holiday. Premier Wab Kanu explains why. And I think it's really important that we give all of those families a chance to participate and reflect on residential school survivors' experience, the children who never came home, and what we want to do for the future. Premier Canu elaborates on the reasoning. Our government's public stance is that this is an important day to commemorate and honour the experiences of residential school survivors, and that it should also be a day to spend time with the people that you love, in part so that you can honour what was deprived from kids in residential schools. September 30th is a federal statutory holiday. Several other provinces and territories have also adopted it. Over to Ontario. Doctors in Ontario are asking the government to create more shelter spaces for people experiencing homelessness. Emergency rooms are seeing an increase in people seeking warmth during the winter. Brenda Molina Navidad has more.
4: Dr. Carolyn Snyder of St. Michael's Hospital says it's vital for governments to increase shelter spaces and warming centers. Snyder co-authored a study suggesting the number of homeless people visiting Ontario ERs without urgent medical issues rose by 24% over the past several winters. In Toronto hospitals, it shot up by 68%.
0: The study notes that cases of frostbite and hypothermia are becoming more frequent for people seeking shelter. And finally, in the Atlantic Provinces, a pilot project that uses physicians' assistance to provide primary care at a Fredericton, New Brunswick hospital has been given permanent status. The Dr. Everett Chalmers Regional Hospital has been running the pilot since 2011. Physician assistants assess patients, order tests, review test results, prescribe medication, and help implement recovery plans. The Horizon Health Network currently has three physician assistants providing care at the facility and will add one more. That's your look at the regional news. In one minute, Laura Bain will take part in the entertainment report. But first, here is Canadian press reporter Karen Rebo with your Morning Business Minute.
1: Canada's main stock index lost ground yesterday amid worries about growth and waning consumer demand. Toronto's TSX index lost 70 points to close at 20,032. In New York, the Dow Jones dropped 56 points and the Nasdaq slipped 9. In Tokyo this morning, the Nikkei index gave back 39 points and our dollar is trading overseas this morning at 73.51 cents US. Shopify shares rose 5% after announcing a black. Friday record for worldwide sales of $4.1 billion from its merchants. A committee of MPs is expected to begin clause-by-clause clause study today of a bill that implements an update to the Canada-Ukraine Free Trade Agreement. The study follows a decision by the federal Tories to vote against the legislation. Conservative leader Pierre Polyev defending his party's move is mounting opposition to language that promotes carbon pricing. From the Canadian Press Business Desk, I'm Karen Rebo.
0: Thank you very much, Karen. Over to the World of Entertainment, Laura Bain. The Juno Awards are still a few months away, but folks in the Halifax area are already getting some announcements and getting pretty pumped up for the weeks leading up to the uh, awards.
5: Yeah, that's right. So uh, today I'm going to talk about a series of concerts called The Road to the Junos. Uh, It's put on by CBC Music, and this is to celebrate local talent, kind of, as you mentioned, leading up to those awards happening in March. So this is happening from February 5th to February 9th at the Marquee Ballroom. Uh, So just to give you a little bit of a highlight of what's happening, on Monday we have the Marvin's Room Night. So this is going to be some R&B music with uh, local artists, Monty and Gary Beals. Tuesday is going to be well-known African Nova Scotian artist Rene Smith with Surprise Guest. Maybe they're trying to figure that out. I don't know. Um,
3: <laughs> It'll be a surprise to everyone.
5: It's <laughs> Surprise. Surprise. We're not sure. Um, no, I don't know. Maybe they know and it's a big name. Who knows? Um, so Wednesday is going to be their reclaimed night. So this is featuring Indigenous artists, uh, Dee Dee Austin, Wolf Castle and Morgan Tony. And we have a clip of Morgan Tony to play.
0: Just this kid oh these was stay we are gone just this kid oh these was we are gone to this kid oh these was
8: stay we are gone just this kid oh these was stay we are
0: gone to go little fiddle action there i like it
5: yeah that's such a jam i can't like i'm tapping my fingers as i've been listening to that so that's the song uh kojua and kojua means type of song that's meant for dancing and bringing people together so um you can really feel that or or i can with it but uh yeah morgan tony is a a Mi'kmaq artist from cape breton and as you mentioned blends that kind of cape breton fiddle music with traditional Mi'kmaq songs
0: super cool super super cool
5: yeah uh thursday we've got rose cousins and jen grant i i'm i'm assuming those are names that are known nationally nationally it's hard to get a kind of barometer on it when you're
0: jen, from here jen grant for sure uh jen grant uh, for a long time was uh, an, an artist that i really really liked Did, mm-hmm. didn't know didn't know that jen grant was still uh, super active in the scene but yeah jen grant is just an amazing singer songwriter who just blends sort of singer songwriter and pop together in just a really fantastic way
5: Totally. Now, I th- I think she might have a new album out this year, but don't quote me on okay. that. I'm not okay. 100% sure. Um, and then Friday, we've got uh, The Block Night, which is featuring music of Black Origin. So that's Jamila, super well-known local artist, I'm going to say in the reggae genre and aquaculture. So if folks want to get tickets for this, they can go to cbc.ca slash music slash Junos. Now get this, $12.81 tax included Per ticket. Oh, come on.
0: Come on. That's a bargain. (laughs)
5: You can't beat this. So, I mean, I brought this story forward and I thought, well, it's it's kind of of interest to people in Halifax. But I think you could make a week of it if you're from maybe a neighboring province or even beyond. You want to check out a little bit of Halifax music, make a little trip here in February. The weather's not as good, but uh, there is fewer crowds. <laughs> so you could uh, get tickets to all of these events, very affordable, and just kind of make a make a week of it.
0: The the Junos are something that transforms the city that they go to. Uh, Sometimes just the week of the awards themselves, but here's a great example of doing something well before the awards hit, but still build into that momentum. I remember I covered the 2012 Junos when they were in Ottawa pretty extensively. Got a chance to interview a bunch of artists, had a chance to go check out the charity hockey game. There was just a lot going on that year as part of that event where you could tell you could tell that really the canadian music scene wants to arrive in a city and sort of bring it to life in a whole new way and that that's one of the reasons why i think the junos for as much consternation as there are about award shows generally the award the Junos still serve a really really important purpose in canadian music broadly and then specifically to the locale where they go
5: Oh, a hundred percent. And there's lots of events that are happening kind of that week. Uh, you know, for some of them, we don't have the names released of who the performers are going to be, but I know there's a comedy night and different kind of, um, even at smaller venues, the Junos are happening at the Scotiabank Centre, which is a large venue here, but other smaller venues around like the Lighthouse Centre for the Arts are having artists uh, come in that week, which is very exciting. So um Dave, I'm wondering who would you like to see perform at this year's
0: Junos? Ooh, good question. Uh, I, I'm still a bit of a sucker for the Sheepdogs. Uh, I had a chance to mm-hmm. interview them a couple of years ago when they were picking up a whole bunch of hardware at the Junos. So uh, I, I would love to go see uh, for twelve dollars and eighty-one cents. Let me go see this. Let me go see the Sheepdogs. What about you?
5: <laughs> well, the Juno tickets I did have a look this morning, so there are still lots of tickets on sale. They start around seventy-five dollars for the Junos themselves um so it's going to be a little bit a little bit richer but <laughs> I uh yeah I was thinking about this I really like an artist named Jeremy Dutcher oh of yeah new Brunswick okay you're familiar and he has a new album that is out just in the last month or so and I haven't given it a really good listen yet but I was just absolutely blown away by his first album which I think is why I haven't gotten to this one because I really want to like sit down with the good head Phones on and give it the time. But I'd love to see him perform.
0: There we go. All right. We've got our wish list all in place there. Hey, Laura, thank you for this. Have a great day. Thanks, Dave, you too. That's Laura Bain with the Entertainment Report. If you want more information on uh, this event or the Junos themselves, whether that be the road to the Junos from February 5th to the 9th at the Marquee Ballroom in Halifax, or the Junos themselves, cbcmusic.ca Junos, cbcmusic.ca Junos. Coming up after the break, advocacy groups are calling for a national caregiving strategy. Megan Gilmore will give you some more perspective on this story. This is Now with Dave Brand. On AMI TV. Welcome back. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI TV. Life has all kinds of changes built into it, and sometimes, when a family or a friend is going through something, you want to step up and help. And from time to time, that involves becoming a caregiver. Many Canadians are experiencing the act of being a caregiver for a loved one at some point in their life, and they often struggle to find appropriate supports. So advocacy groups are calling for a national caregiving strategy to mitigate the issue. Megan Gilmore has written about this for Canadian Affairs and wants to tell you a little bit more. Hey, good morning, Megan. Good morning, Dave. Megan, let's start with some of the broad numbers. How many caregivers are there in Canada? And what are some of the expectations for those caregivers?
9: Sure. So, first, I'm going to tell you, when we talk about caregivers for the purposes of this conversation, we are discussing unpaid caregivers. Uh, so, not people who are employed as people who provide care, like PSW. Yeah, so we're yeah not, not, a, not
0: a PSW. We're talking about a yeah. friend or a peer um, or a family friend. member. Yeah.
9: yeah. So, right now, uh, estimates say that one in four Canadians are currently caregivers to their family or to their friends, but that number is set to rise to one and two. So that's like half of Canadians. That's pretty much everyone. Um, It is estimated that unpaid caregivers provide three hours of care for each hour of paid caregiving that an individual receives. And this equals a whopping 5.7 billion hours of care. Um, That would be equivalent to having 2.8 million full-time workers which would cost $97.1 billion in wages. So, unpaid caregivers are providing upwards of $100 billion of work a year to provide care for family or friends in Canada.
0: So, Megan, what are the demographic breakdowns on this in terms of the people who are oftentimes taking the role of a caregiver?
9: Yeah. So, like one in four Canadians rising to like pretty much like half of Canadians. Like, that means that anyone uh, could be a caregiver, so there's a wide variety, but there are some uh, interesting demographic trends that researchers have observed in the data. So first is that caregivers are still predominantly women, if, if you are a woman particularly particular, if you are a daughter or like a niece, like if you are a woman in a family, you are more likely to be the one who will take on the caregiving duties uh, when they arise. But besides that, um, the women who uh, do these caregiving are often racialized. Uh, there's a good number of caregivers who... Uh, are, come from other countries or uh, care for family members who live outside of Canada, but definitely there's a, a, a large percentage of racialized women who are in unpaid caregiving roles. That also has to do with like cultural expectations and all that type of things. Um, about 28% of caregivers are caring for parents. And then, as well, caring for children who have disabilities or some other sort of illness that would require more intensive care beyond just being a parent. And then we also have what are called double duty caregivers. So, those are those people who are like professional caregivers, like they're PSWs or they work in the healthcare system at some point in their job. But then, in their personal lives, outside of their work, they're providing unpaid care to a family member or a friend.
0: Mm-hmm. So, Megan, when you talked about the pure, raw numbers there, the number of people who may have to take on the role of a caregiver at some point in their life, I think that explains the urgency in regards to a national strategy, but why are groups calling for a national caregiving strategy?
9: Sure. So one is just what you mentioned, the numbers. So we have this combination of a rapidly aging population in Canada, where a greater, like a large percentage of Canadians will be seniors or people over the age of 85. But we couple that with declining birth rates. So we have more people getting older who will require more care. We have less children being born who can grow up and help provide that care. So you're seeing a weakening of the natural family caregiving support systems. So we're going to need some help uh, coming from other sources to provide in the gaps. Um, One of the main reasons why people will argue that we need a national caregiving strategy is because the federal government is actually already... uh, in charge of implementing policies and programs that impact caregivers and a national caregiving strategy is just a way to bring all these things together under one umbrella and have there be more like concentrated and coordinated efforts and then yeah and then the goal um so as anybody who has followed this segment knows one of the things that we like to discuss is federal provincial territorial jurisdiction uh so while there are some things that fall under the realm of federal jurisdiction there are several things that fall under the uh, realms of provincial or territorial jurisdiction particularly healthcare, particularly finding those home care nurses. Um, And the hope from some advocates is that if the federal government starts to talk about this in earnest, that that will motivate provinces and territories to also say, hey, we need to develop our own caregiving strategy that is unique to our jurisdiction and to the demographics of our particular area.
0: What about particular areas of focus? Because caregiving is a big, broad spectrum.
9: Yeah. Yeah, it is. Um, so if you talk about things that the federal government is already involved in, there's a few key things. So tax law, um, there is, for example, the Canada caregiving benefit that you can receive uh, if you're an eligible caregiver. And uh, Christian Freeland, uh, who's the Minister of Finance and the Deputy, Deputy Prime Minister, her mandate letter actually does say that this will be converted into a tax-free refundable benefit. Um Currently, it's a non-refundable credit. Uh, That's been listed in her mandate letter for several years. That has not happened. Uh, So one of the things that does fall under caregiving is tax law discussions about the disability tax credit Um, also would fall under there. Another area of federal purview that impacts caregivers is employment insurance. There are caregiving leaves that you can get under EI if you are caring for somebody, particularly at the end of life. Uh, There are some concerns that depending on how the application process goes for that, somebody may be approved for the leave after the individual has already died. Um, so, just how do we streamline these processes and make sure that people actually get it when they need it? And then, as we've alluded to earlier, immigration plays a big, big role in this. We have a significant number of caregivers, paid and unpaid, who come from other countries. So, if if Let's say you're a PSW and you're here on a temporary work visa. What happens when that visa runs out? What happens if there's suddenly a conflict between you and the employer and you may not be able to do that, that job anymore? Um, and then also concerns of Let's say you're an unpaid caregiver, but your family members that you're caring for live in another country. How how easily can you get back home to care for them? Right. Um, yeah. And then there's a whole bunch of other areas. So we're talking about things like respite care, helping people find respite care, supporting caregivers who have jobs. Most caregivers have other jobs that they do. Mm-hmm. Um, so how do human resources departments care for caregivers, particularly caregivers who may be young caregivers and are at the beginning of their careers but are already caring for somebody in their family.
0: So I don't know if this counts as zooming way in or zooming way out, but what about the disability side of this conversation? Because obviously caregiving and disability, there tends to be a hand-in-hand relationship here, but this isn't necessarily specifically a disability conversation, but there are all kinds of disability implications.
4: Yeah, there
9: are tons of disability implications. And I think this is an example of a policy discussion in Canada that isn't necessarily classified in what we would call typical disability policy conversations, but actually has a lot of relevance to the disability policy conversations. And there's a lot of overlap. Uh, There is, first of all, a very basic one. People with disabilities are unpaid caregivers, right? So um, I'm legally blind. Uh, my parents are seniors. At one time in my, at one point in my life, I expect that I will be taking on a certain element of care for them. Okay, who's going to drive legally blind Megan? to the doctor's office with my senior parents right, right so there are right. like that that's a very real practical consideration but i was at i was at a conference last month organized by the canadian center for caregiving excellence they were holding a summit to really launch discussions about a caregiving strategy and there was so much discussion about the disability benefit um and there's people who are involved in caregiving who are very concerned about uh, this benefit being created and it being created well, uh, because if we can support people with disabilities to live independent lives, maybe they won't need as many caregivers, right? Like, they, there's there's ways to look at this from different different angles. Also, a lot of discussions about the disability tax credit uh, and who gets it, who doesn't get it. All these little things in there, um, because for many families, their caregiving of their children is caregiving for a child with complex medical needs or disabilities, and they are very aware of some of the policy conversations around disability. So this is just a reminder that disability policy conversations impact every single Canadian, regardless of whether or not you have a disability. And those of us who have disabilities, I think we need to recognize that and leverage the knowledge and expertise that maybe non-disabled people bring to these conversations.
0: Yeah, not to uh, give away too much here, but AMI-audio is going to be doing something special for uh, December 3rd, International Day of Persons with Disabilities, and uh, I'm coming flying in off the top rope with about a three minute rant about how public transit and housing policy is disability policy without being explicitly labeled as so. So uh, pay attention for that one on December the 3rd on AMI-audio. Megan, uh, there's obviously a lot to this conversation, yes. what are some resources or things that you want to put on people's radars if they want to learn a little bit more about the topic of unpaid caregivers or maybe just caregiving more generally?
9: Sure, so we've already mentioned the Canadian Centre for Caregiving Excellence out of the Azrieli Foundation in Toronto. They've been doing a lot of work on this and they're planning to do more work Particularly in the areas of provincial and territorial advocacy. So, having provinces and territories think about, hey, maybe we should have a national, maybe we should have a caregiving strategy in our jurisdiction. Also, the National Institute on Aging out of Toronto Metropolitan University has been calling for a national senior strategy for more than a decade. We don't have one, but they, like, part of a senior strategy, they would say, would include support for caregivers. So, those are some advocacy organizations. But one of the things that is really fascinating about this topic from a policy perspective is that there is cross-partisan support. So there is support from different political parties. And I think sometimes some individuals may try to label certain political parties as these are the ones who care about disability issues and these are the ones who don't. And I would suggest that you make that statement with a lot of caution because actually, most political parties do have policies that intersect with this. They just have different ideologies about how they believe that what they believe the role of the government is when it comes to providing these services. So, this is a cross partisan issue. Different parties will go about it in different ways, but there are elected officials in all parties who care deeply about this. So, that's something to watch for. And then, in case we haven't mentioned it in a couple of minutes on the show, can a disability benefit? <laughs> consultations are going on about regulations. That is part of this conversation. And we don't know what's going to happen with that, but that that is part of this conversation. So keep your eye out on that if you aren't already.
0: Yeah, those consultations underway until December the 21st. And you can get involved uh, via phone, via email, via the web. I don't have those points of contact handy at the moment, but maybe I can pick up that phone number again. I know it was in uh, yesterday's uh, script in the edition of the show. Megan, thank you for this.
9: Thank you. Have a great
0: day. That's Megan Gilmore, a reporter for Canadian Affairs. You can check out her article at canadianaffairs.news, canadianaffairs.news. You can find Alex Smythe at the AMI Weather Desk. Alex, it's a bit of a hodgepodge across the country right now with uh, some unusual temperatures way up north. Yeah, Dave, so uh, I wanted to explore
6: how kind of the weather pattern system forecast seemed to almost have flipped so far this week. So Ontario and the prairies are dealing with cold conditions, and especially in Ontario, a lot of snow starting today and into tomorrow. Well, you would assume those conditions would get worse the more north you made your way. But however, in Callawit, up in Nunavut, it's enjoying a spell of unseasonably warm weather. So Wednesday, the Northern capital is expected to actually be warmer than both Toronto and New York City. And this is all due to an Eastern trough that has brought the frigid air that, and conditions that we're currently experiencing in Ontario. So a pocket of warm air has been created as part of the system, and it's going to hover over a Iqaluit until Thursday. So for the next two days, the conditions will be 17 degrees above normal. So a high of plus two is expected today and a high of plus three is expected Wednesday. For Toronto, as I mentioned, Ikelo, it's gonna be warmer. Toronto is expected to be a high of one tomorrow, while New York City expected to be a high of two. Now, don't expect these conditions to last too long because come Sunday, well, the high is gonna be back down to more seasonal conditions at minus 13 degrees, But it's a little uh, break of seasonably warm and uh, uh, welcomed weather before the wintry cold really takes hold over the
0: region. Yeah, they'll uh, they'll take that. They'll take a couple days around the uh, freezing mark in Iqaluit in uh, late November, early December. Dark, 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 dark time of year around Iqaluit. Alex, thank you for this. Thank you, Dave. That's Alex Smythe at the weather desk coming up after the break. The distillery Winter Village has begun its winter wonderland. Toronto community reporter Mara Hutchinson will give you the details. This is Now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. Welcome back. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. Toronto's distillery district is kicking off the holiday season. The neighbourhood has transformed into a winter village. Toronto community reporter Mara Hutchinson has the details. Hey, good morning, Mara. Good
10: morning. (laughs) What's up? (laughs)
0: Uh, Mara, you've got a whole bunch of holiday stuff here uh, lined up. Winter Wonderland. But the Distillery District is one of those neighbourhoods in Toronto that people will flock to this time of year. What's on offer?
10: So I guess this year has changed a lot because they even changed their name because it's getting bigger and bigger as each year goes on, right? So there was so many vendors of little markets of food, Things you want to buy there's a lot of entertainment people singing along elves just following you because of of course it's a family place so all these elves are just chasing you down singing carols there's a santa claus thing that that you can meet santa there for a period of time and a lot of restaurants are offering a lot of things during this holiday time as well and just a good vibe during this time of the Mm. year And it's a good family or a date night if you want to do a date day, date night, so fun. It's, we it's, brought our son there.
0: It's definitely a chiller vibe than say the Eaton yes. Center on a on a Saturday afternoon, right? Like it's, it's, yes. it's a little bit more uh, chill. It's still busy. There's still a lot of people flocking there, but it's got a yes. little bit more of that community vibe. Why do you think it's so appealing? Maybe I just gave, gave it away a little bit right there, but I, but there is like an appeal to it that sort of stands out from sort of your standard store or your standard market. It's because
10: of that tree. Because i you know, they have this huge, I think it's about 56 feet wow. and Christmas tree. And they do an actual lighting ceremony. And this year they're featuring the Dior tree. So it's a huge, huge thing to look at and take photos and just have your family there. And there's just so many little things each corner that you can enjoy. And just a nice, honestly, it's just a nice experience when you want to just be on your own let's say or bring your family we brought our son over the weekend and he loved it he he loved the fact that there was elves chasing him like just kind of following around (laughs) and then eating all the good stuff and it was just a nice feel to all like you know just to kind of get your Christmas spirit going
0: Now, it is a ticketed event, so so someone they have to plan in advance if they're going to go see this. What are some of the other planning in advance things that you recommend now that you've been down there?
10: Well, first, um, I highly recommend figure out the time because there are some um, during the day, you don't have to pay, but at night now, you do have to pay just to get in. And if you do want to, if you want to, let's say, do some certain activities, um, you have to probably just look at it, look it up and just kind of maybe see, okay, there's ticketed prices here as well. So, you know, kind of plan ahead for that. And for restaurants, I feel like if you really want to have a good dinner or a good lunch, you can plan ahead as well and call them and make reservations. And my gosh, there's just so many. And I think for me, honestly, is I'm all about free entry where it's already charged you know for us as a disabled community we don't i'm gonna be honest we don't make a lot and i want to go in there when it's free mm-hmm. because they didn't mm-hmm. advertise this because i think this is the first year that they're charging people now because i've been through the distillery this, this market for so long and this is the first time i've actually noticed that you have to pay now because it's getting bigger and more entertainment
0: so that's why. Yeah, yeah, something grows yeah. in popularity and unfortunately yep. yeah, sometimes it gets more popular but that comes with a price tag attached to it as well. I know. So, so let, let me give the, the, the point of contact here the distillerywintervillage.com, the distillerywintervillage.com. And it's going to run uh, till after the holidays, till uh, January the 7th. So still a bit of time for that one, distillerywintervillage.com. Maybe something a little bit more in the museum side of things may appeal to someone this time of the year. So the Royal Ontario Museum is bringing Uh back their ROM After Dark Monthly Series. Mara, you had a chance to go. What were some of the highlights?
10: first of all with your ticket you get a free drink and free coat check and we all know we need to put away our coats because <laughs> it's winter season and on top of your ticket you they offer you a free drink so as an adult i i you obviously can't bring our, our little ones during at the room after dark um that was a winner for me that was a win because i needed a drink just to kind of enjoy the vibe the music cuz they do offer um live music live entertainment so that was truly amazing can you imagine like you're listening to good stuff and then you're wandering the museum and it's a different feel during the day i have to say because during the day i'm focused on entertaining my son but now it's like i'm taking the museum on my own time and my own you know just and i'm just wandering by myself and at this yeah i brought my husband along so it was like a nice date (laughs)
0: yeah there's something really cool about being in a museum after dark a friend of mine got married at the uh nature museum in ottawa a couple summers ago and and we were sort of given free reign to wander around the museum it's pretty darn cool to get to spend some time in a place like that it was sort of less of the hustle bustle
10: yes it was it was so many people it was Pretty much, it's always, I heard it's always sold out because it's always just once a month now. They brought it back, and it's only once a month, end of the month. So when I went, it was a sold out show, like sold oh, out event. So,
0: so there is still hustle bustle. You see, you need these private events, yeah. Mara. If you really want to live like a like a bourgeoisie aristocrat in a 17th century France, you know, ideally 17th century, uh, you got to You got you to gotta, you get, you gotta get good, the I private know. events.
10: <laughs> but it was such a good time, and every certain areas they also have the dj there so one room it was all these it was glow in the dark i had a i had trouble there but all of us were wearing all these glow-in-the-dark glasses so i was just looking at the the glow-in-the-dark things but everything else was obviously pitch black for me because of my condition but i still had a good time because i was able to hear the music and listen to some people just kind of talk about the event and it was nice. And then going to different areas where they offered a lot of stuff. And I honestly, I recommend highly just going and experience it for yourself, but it was nice. You can wander anywhere and you hear the music, you can eat, you can have your drink while you're doing what you're doing, wandering around and experiencing the museum.
0: So Rom After Dark runs on the last Friday of the month, it is 19-plus, yes. like Mara said. Tickets, 40 bucks, or if you're a patron or member, 36 Bones. So it pays to be a patron or a member, rom.on.ca, rom.on.ca for more information. And Mara, circling back to the holiday season, you wanted to give out a shout-out to the Holiday Hills at Stacked Market in a different part of downtown Toronto.
10: I know, because you know what? I've always heard about Stack Market during the summer and so on. And it is nice. I've been a couple of times. But they're offering pretty much the same kind of feel like the distillery. But obviously, this one is furry. You can wander, eat, and be outdoors and just having a sip of cocoa. And there's so many lights They offer some um, bands as well or music and even little games here and there like for entertainment. And I just feel like if you're shopping around downtown and you want a quick bite, there's an actual spot that you can sit and enjoy your food or drinks and just chill out. And you get all the Christmas lights going and it's nice. It's a nice <laughs> feel after shopping.
0: Maybe a little bit lower stakes than uh than the distillery district over there yeah. on a 28 hey, Street. Bath- yeah. <laughs> At a 28 Bathard, Bathurst Street in Toronto. Like Mara said, uh, entry is free. And for more information, you can visit stackedmarket.com. Stackedmarket.com. Stacked is spelt S-T-A-C-K-T. Stackedmarket.com. Dot com for more information. Mara, I believe this is probably going to be the last time you and I chat yes. between now and Christmas. So all the best to you and the family over all the holiday bad. season.
10: I know, same to you, Dave. I can't wait to see you in the new year and hear all about your holiday Holiday plans and just everything. (laughs) I wish you all the best.
0: Thank you. Uh, My holiday plans are always exciting because of my uh, seven-year-old niece. She brings a little bit of life to the holiday uh, festivities. No doubt about that one. Mara Hutchinson is a community reporter in Toronto, Ontario. In a couple minutes, Brock Richardson will stop by for a sports chat. But first, there is another electric SUV hitting the market. Mike Debuski has the specs in Tech Trends.
3: The Gravity is a new three-row SUV from the electric vehicle company Lucid. But auto journalist Roberto Baldwin says Lucid's not targeting other EV startups like Tesla.
0: Instead, they're going after the German luxury market. They're going after Mercedes. They're going after BMW.
3: They're going after Audi. That means the Gravity gets niceties like a 22-speaker sound system and an infotainment screen that can run multiple apps side by side. An update from Lucid's sedan, the Air. Like It couldn't multitask, and they realized that that was an issue because people kept asking why doesn't this do this and so they've done that lucid projects over 440 miles of range and a price under $80,000. overall baldwin says the gravity is a shrewd move from lucid
8: there is a ton of money made on suvs and on on uh, trucks the profit margins are much higher than on a sedan or a compact vehicle
3: with tech trends i'm mike debuski abc news
0: It's now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. Also in beautiful streaming audio at AMIplus.ca. Or maybe you're listening on demand on the mighty AMI-audio podcast network. Don't forget, you can always find a show if you miss one by searching for Now with Dave Brown on your favorite podcasting platform. Don't forget to like, subscribe, and review. Smash that subscribe button if you can. And if you really like something, why don't you share a link on social media with your friends? It's the little things you can do to support the show that make me feel very, very good. And isn't that what this is all about? You making me feel good? other way around i'm talking to you this morning hanging out on tuesday november the 28th 2023 coming up in the second hour of the show tis the season for baked goods and desserts becky czar will share some tips on prepping holiday goodies for friends and family or co-workers Like you said earlier in the show, as part of the Daily Poll, baked goods, probably the best low-cost gift. It shows that little bit of extra love. And it's another edition of the Weekly News Quiz. Contestants Alicia Yardley, Karen McGee, and Alex Smythe will compete for the fictitious crown of weekly champion. Speaking of competing, let's start the hour with a sports chat. Brock Richardson, you were all over the Am games in Santiago, Chile, and you came back for a night of professional sports, and the Ottawa Senators and Florida Panthers mm-hmm. failed to give you a particularly good hockey game as the Panthers mauled the Sens 5 nothing. But there was drama in a substantial way during the third period when there was a line brawl that involved everybody on the ice getting a 10-minute misconduct which is a little unusual in the world of hockey.
2: Yeah, the the reference on uh the 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 sports show I was watching this morning was their bench looked like a um Ten o'clock beer league game where nobody showed up when everybody got taken off the ice. So it was uh, it was an interesting game. Uh, obviously now uh, head coach for the Ottawa Senators, uh, DJ Smith, who's been under fire with the Ottawa Senators for a while. The hot seat is heating up, oof, rather oof. rather quickly on on DJ Smith, and and I don't think he helped himself in uh, yesterday's uh, post-game press conference when he remarked, uh, I wear this one. I didn't have my team ready to play. Maybe it's on me. Maybe I need to put out better lines to start the game. When you acknowledge to the public that you made the mistake, sure, one of two things can happen. We love your honesty, but another thing is... Why did you put the wrong line, maybe, in your mind on the ice? Like, there's tons of questions there. So I'm not sure the Ottawa Faithful fan base <laughs> will be happy with his, his uh, post-game press conference. Because I raised an eyebrow when when I heard this, and I'm not necessarily an Ottawa Senators supporter. So.
0: Yeah, there, there's there's nothing wrong with taking accountability and saying, hey, I might have put the long, wrong line out to start the game, but that that's one shift. That's 40 seconds of being beaten down roundly for 60 minutes, and if your team can't overcome 40 seconds of bad line management, then <laughs> what are we even doing here? Uh, Brock, to give a little bit of context on how hot that DJ Smith hot seat might be as coach of the Ottawa Senators. Now, their machinations here, I'll get to the caveats in a second, but as of this morning, they find themselves in last place in the Eastern Conference. They've also played the least amount of games in the Eastern Conference, so it is fair to note that if they rip off a five- or six-game winning streak, that point is moot. However, the way they're playing right now doesn't necessarily suggest there's a five or six game winning streak in the cards for this team and this is a hockey team that is admittedly young it's admittedly young the core of players like tim stutzla and brady kachuk and jake sanderson and tom shabbat you know, there's still supposed to be growing pains here, but all those players are in their 20s now, and all of a sudden, the sands of time will cease being patient with a coach who, for a couple years now, has struggled to get it done with this young core. That there comes a time in a rebuild, Brock, when uh, saying we're going through growing pains really no longer uh, soothes the burns of a fan base.
2: No, I think there's a level of understanding and and uh, compassion uh, when you hear about growing pains and things like that, but time does wear on, as you aptly point out. But also, I'll throw out there that uh, Pierre Dorian, who was the general manager, did hire uh, DJ Smith and kept him on, and he's no longer here. So the, the cog in the wheel that was your existence with the Ottawa Senators is not there, so... Not necessarily does new management decide we're going to immediately, you know, can you and let you go, but they also don't owe you anything either. I mean, you look at Brad Drew Living, who kept Sheldon Keefe uh, for the Toronto Maple Leafs, and he came in and it wasn't his hire. Things can go either way, but I just wonder with this sort of thing happening in Ottawa... I wonder if the taste of new management goes, we don't owe you much. So, you know, and I think he recognizes that too. Honestly, DJ Smith, which is part of why he had post game comments. He did because, he knows he's got a wear part of this as well. Yeah,
0: I want to circle back to those post-game comments because DJ Smith also talked about that line brawl that erupted in the third period, and he was actually a little critical of his team. Said, ah, oh, you know, there was a lot of time left on the clock. We can't let our emotions get, get to us like that. We've got to keep playing the game. And that was roundly disputed by Brady Kachuk, their star forward, in his post-game remarks saying, this team plays better when we're emotional. So that really speaks to what might actually be a disconnect right now between the young core of the team and the coach that was put in place to develop them. Brock, I'm not here this morning calling for DJ Smith's job. I'm not a call for somebody's job kind of sports fan. But I think the signs are starting to point towards there is a total disconnect here, whether it's between the new ownership group whether it be the new managers in place or whether it be the young core that is supposed to shepherd this team to the next step, which this year was to compete for a playoff spot, it just implies that maybe Ottawa is not set for a rebuild, but maybe a total organizational reset. They're going to say, we have the five or six players we want to build around, but we need to change everything around them. And that's going to be the challenge for their new owner, Michael Anlauer. Listen, he put a billion dollars up to buy this team, and they've roundly been considered the team that has uh, the lowest front office costs and lowest training costs in the league and scouting costs in the league. They they pinched pennies for years and years and years in this organization, and it really shows.
2: Yeah, and I think going back to your other point, I think when you start having, you know, some opposition comments from your coach to your players, that's when I start kind of raising my my red flag and kind of going... Mm, are we losing the room? And I recognize that losing the room is sort of a, a buzz phrase, but I think when you lose the room and you start you start to sort of hear contrasting, you know, things that are being said from the players to the staff, that really concerns me. And I think Ottawa really expected to be something this year. Yeah, I think, yeah. And, and I think this is the step that we're looking and going, what is that? something that you were supposed to be and you're not and i think that's sort of where the fan base is gonna lose their patience quicker because they're looking at it going, "Hey, we were sold on we're gonna be something, and what are we? And we're last in the East that, for for two for for
0: two years as well, right? It's not just that they yeah. had a bad start this year; they drastically underperformed last year as well. With this core, with the former GM, with the current coach, there, there there is something here in Ottawa that says probably some changes are going to be needed. uh Brock, the one other thing I'll say here is expectations versus reality. It's hard. For for a team like Ottawa who watched Detroit start their rebuild a little bit later than they did and are already competing for a playoff spot. Buffalo's had a bit of a rough start to the year, but Ottawa sees Buffalo in front of them as well, and right now the vibes in Montreal are good. So when three teams have started their rebuilds around you and appear to be moving in a better direction than you, that sort of those those are all division rivals, right? Those are division rivals, they're geographic rivals. It just puts the fan base in the organization in a position where they have to at least consider what fundamental change do we need to make
2: and when you get left behind when everybody around you is in a rebuild and you get left behind it gets really oof, obvious oof. really really yeah. quick and that's where we are right now is that we're looking at Ottawa and going uh you guys are behind on this and It's very obvious. We sold it to everybody that we're going to be something. And now, teams around you who are quite frankly better to watch are looking better than you and this is a problem
0: well that's it you're also on paper you still looked quite good on paper there was something there but yeah the execution is totally totally lacking hey brock let's get to a quick note here about baseball free agency because you rumor and innuendo season has begun in the world of major league baseball free agency and espn's jeff passan probably the best baseball reporter walking planet Earth is reporting that the Toronto Blue Jays are, quote, interested in signing free agent Shohei Ohtani. Ohtani, if you didn't already know, is an MVP winner for his offensive contributions. He's also garnered Cy Young buzz as one of the best pitchers in the world for his career work uh, on the mound as well. Brock, this is not about analyzing whether or not Shohei Ohtani is a good fit for the Blue Jays uh, because, Budoing obviously he's the best baseball player in the world. But yeah. you want to do a little bit of media criticism about the way a story like this gets flushed out in broader media conversation and Brock, I'm going to need you to acknowledge the irony that by you doing the media criticism, you're taking the bait.
2: Yes. I, and I am. And I, and I recognize that and that's fine. I just listen. I I'm of the mentality. I will believe it when I see it. We have situations in all the professional sports where people will say, oh, this team's in on so-and-so, and this team's in on this person. I heard from somebody once, everybody's in on everybody until they're not. And that's the, the subscription to all this that I buy in on. Do I, Would I love Shohei Otani? Sure, absolutely. To take your phrase, Bedoying, Captain Obvious, yes, of course. But I, I believe it when I see it. And I don't think the Blue Jays are really going to put up uh, as much money as would be demanded when we're looking at Bo Vladimir Goro Jr. hopefully being re-signed or moved on with whatever happens. Cause I've heard rumor that, you know, maybe we're moving on from Bobachet. Uh, but it's, we'll see. I would love it, but I also caution the fans and the, you know, a couple of people who texted me yesterday, Oh, Shohei Otani would be great. Well, yeah, obviously, but let's, let's step back a little bit and realize that the media is just doing its job and, making people talk a little bit. And sometimes uh, people want it out in the media so that other teams can sort of push in and say, well, the Blue Jays are in on it, so let's, let's push in a little bit more. And sometimes teams can be used as bargaining chips to sort of push things along with the organization that you really, truly want. I'm interested in dating a
0: supermodel. I'm interested in winning the lottery. I'm interested in living in a bigger house. The question is, uh, can I date a supermodel? Can I win the lottery? Can I buy a bigger house? Now, some of these things are interrelated, by the way. But yeah, come on. Like this notion of like, the report is they're interested, which by the way, I'm sure one of their front office members said to Jeff Passan, oh yeah, we'd love Shohei Otani. We're interested in that. Like you said, it's going to cost $500 million. Are the Blue Jays going to put half a billion dollars down to, to go buy? this player in free agency not a chance not a chance so yeah Uh, sometimes again this this whole conversation Brock is surrounded around reality versus perception
2: and let's also remind everybody that at the end of the year when everyone was asking what the payroll for the Toronto Blue Jays would be it would be around the same and uh, to my knowledge that wasn't half a billion dollars last year so uh let's let's all just calm down a little bit on everybody, this
0: everybody calm down. Don't buy mm-hmm. into the hype, the fake news media. That's why Brock and I tell you like it is. Brock, thank you for this. Thank you. Coming up after the break, tis the season for baked goods. Becky Czar will share some tips on prepping your holiday goodies for friends and family. This is now with Dave Brown on AMI TV. now with Dave Brown on AMI-TV. A reminder of the daily poll. What is the best low-cost holiday gift? Is it baked goods? Is it a card? Crafts? You can get engaged on the poll at Accessible Media on Twitter, at Accessible Media Inc. on Facebook. Chime in with emails, feedback at AMI.ca, or pick up the phone and give the show a ring. one eight six six. The reason I ask you the question is because columnist Becky Zarr is getting into the festive spirits and has some tips on holiday and Christmas baking. Becky is an entrepreneur based in Regina. Hey,
7: good morning, Becky. Morning, Dave. Thanks for having me.
0: Becky, this is a great topic and I want, I want your take on the daily poll, although I think there's some self-evidence on what your answer is going to be.
7: Well, I think those are all lovely options. Um, I do have to say when my son was little, I love the, you know, handcrafted goods, but come on, Dave, it's December almost and um, it's Christmas baking time. And if somebody thinks I'm a good girl and wants to treat me with a little something special baked goods are the way to get to my heart
0: <laughs> so becky i don't know if uh, you want me to be the person giving you those baked goods though because uh if i even called myself a beginner that would be a stretch i can cook i cannot bake cooking is uh experimentation baking is science what do you think a beginner should do when thinking about making some holiday goodies
7: well you never know dave you might walk away from this segment and thinking i'm going to make myself a cake Um, I think honestly is to first thing is try not to get overwhelmed. Um, I used to be a sighted individual and so baking was significantly different. Uh, so I, I really wasn't sure how I was going to get back into it. So easing in with something that's a little less extreme is probably a good way to start. I mean, go to the store and pick up a boxed mix, a cake. That is probably the easiest thing you can do. Really. There's not a lot of measuring that goes into it. Uh, not a lot of science. You have to chuck in a couple ingredients, like an egg, maybe some butter, stir it around, chuck it in a pan and put it in the oven. And, oh, I, do that. I mean, you're going to, yeah, you can do it. You can test it the same way as a sighted person with the, you know, the poke of the toothpick. So, um, you might not be able to see it, but you can definitely feel if there's something stuck to the end of the toothpick, but to get you on track, if you want to do your stuff from scratch, my biggest thing that I recommend is, find consistency and how you're going to do that is with measuring scoops. Those are my go-to babies. Um, and you can find them in any, like a whole variety of accessible colors, shapes, they even have braille ones. Um, so I have a whole gamut in my supply. Um, so I use those all the time. The other thing that I would highly recommend is getting yourself a scoop, um, like a cookie scoop or even an ice cream scoop. If you're going to do any type of individual piece baking that way, they're all going to be consistent sizes which is going to help you out mm, when it comes mm. to determining if things are done or not yeah
0: okay i like that so instead of maybe relying on the typical measuring cup where you're pouring something in and now you're patting down you're looking for a line yeah. just go for something go for something simple like well, I, I never i never say simple something more straightforward like a scoop
7: Totally. Yeah. Then you just touch it with your hand to make sure things are on the top or flush and not, you know, oozing out the top or you are significantly low on your amount. And you can do the same thing with the measuring spoons too. They have a whole variety of them as well, which are fantastic.
0: What about the mixing side of things? Because certainly you want to make sure everything's mixed
7: in together properly. Yeah. So, I back up to cakes again. So my two things that I initially started with um, would be the puff wheat cake and Rice crispy cake. So let's talk about the Rice crispy cake first. So it's probably the easiest um, from scratch, item that you can make, I think there's literally three ingredients, um, marshmallows, uh, a wad, AKA kind of like a cup, I believe it is of like margarine or butter on top and your rice krispies. And so mm. it can be a little daunting to say like, how am I going to know if this is done or not or whatever, but you chuck the marshmallows and the butter in a microwave safe bowl in the microwave. And instead of visually look to see if they're like puffing up, you can feel the texture difference. And so use your hands, clean your hands, but use your hands. And then when it's all, you know, puffed up, like it'll almost double in size sometimes. Start mixing it. And then once it's kind of mixed together, if, you, if it's not entirely mixed, the butter and the um, marshmallows, it's not gonna kill the cake. Um, Dump it into the Rice Krispies and use your ears. I thought this was ridiculous at first when someone told me this and I was like, "Mm, yeah, no, I'm a gal. I used to be in that world. I want to use my eyes. My eyes don't work anymore. So use your ears, use your fingers. And you can literally start to hear less and less Rice Krispies individually falling as you begin to stir things and knowing that way that things are mixed properly. Um, And then touch if you need to make sure, right? And make sure, just run your finger along and make sure that there's not um, a ton of Rice Krispies just sitting there, but you will hear it. I promise you, you'll hear it, especially if you practice over time. And then if you want to try a puff wheat cake, I'd say that would be kind of like step two or three. Um, Chuck all of your ingredients minus the puff wheat in a microwave safe bowl. Don't even worry about using the cooktop and chuck it in the microwave and then stir it in like 20 to 30 second increments, pull it out. And then you'll initially hear like a granular sound, which is like the sugar moving around. And as things begin to progress, you'll hear less and less of that. And then you're going to think I'm crazy, I know. But um, as you're stirring things around every 20 to 30 seconds with that spoon, just take the tip of your finger and dip it into the spoon. And you will, not a whole spoonful of the liquid, mind you, but you will feel the texture change by feel. Um, and it will go from like a granular feel to like a smooth feel. And as soon as it starts going smooth, maybe chuck it in for an extra 15 seconds or so just to double check and you're good to go I promise you don't even need any of those you know fancy candy thermometers and stuff that complicate things and I mean you have to get a speaking one and all that kind of jazz just go by feel and uh, mix it the same way that you did with Rice Krispie by using your ears to hear for the single pieces of the puff wheat um, dropping and you'll be good I promise it'll be it'll be lovely
0: Okay, Becky, you're building my confidence here and, and I appreciate <laughs> that. I like that. Three ingredients, do things by feel, uh, maybe get a couple rice krispies in my hand here on the slide. That sounds good to me. Maybe snack on some leftover marshmallows, but yes. I would still be nervous about making a mistake. Well, what's your advice about people who are maybe a little apprehensive in the kitchen?
7: Yeah, you know what? The reality is, it or not, you're going to make mistakes. Um, I get a little bit... Um, overzealous and confident at times, especially when I'm doing Christmas baking. because I'm like, oh, look at me. I'm just ripping through here. I'm doing awesome. And then that's when something monkeys up. And it happens. I mean, I'm clearly not a professional chef in any way, shape or form. Um, I just have an interest, uh, a passion for baking and stick to something that you're confident in. And who cares? You keep making the same thing over and over and over again. You're going to tweak it and understand. And the more confident you begin to be with your other senses, um, touch, smell, all that kind of thing, auditory it's really going to help improve your baking as well. Um, don't jump into, I would say, don't make ginger snaps as your very first, I'm um, going to step into the kitchen and give us a whirl. <laughs> Leave those for down the road a bit. Um, but you can do them too. I know like visually you tell when a ginger snap is done, when it's got a crackle texture on top. Well, I'm not sticking my finger in the oven um, and feeling for a crackle texture. It's just not happening. But I can, I have learned over time to feel the side of the cookie and its texture changes as it begins to set up and get done. And I can tell 100% of the time, well, I'm going to jinx myself now, Dave, (laughs) like let's say 97% of the time, when my ginger snaps are done with that crackled finish and i mystify the sight of people around me but it's all about trial and error and sometimes it works and sometimes it's a flop and you just scrape that and put it in your garbage or recycle or whatever your um compost bin and uh move on Try hey, it again.
0: G- give it to dave just give it to dave, he'll take it to dave. Care of it. yeah he'll take he'll take care of it he'll, I'm, I'm a dumpster over here i'll take care of that for, my 13 year old son you. will eat
7: anything yeah. <laughs> when it comes to baking too so rejects or not he's like, yeah whatever that yeah it doesn't matter what
0: it looks like mom. sugar carbs that'll do it'll do the trick sugar cups candy let's go uh becky let's do it I, i like that you've offered up a couple pretty simple recipes here in regards to what people can do pretty easy to keep track of a couple steps but as you do maybe try to endeavor into that ginger snap world or something that's a little bit more complex what's your approach to keeping track on a recipe
7: yeah so i used to try to push through and act in the sighted world and write things in giant um sharpie and uh zoom in on my phone. To me, it all began, it began to become ridiculous and not work at all. So I got my lovely son who's 13 now. He was probably around 10 at the time when I pivoted to this direction and he read out just on my phone. So I just have a regular iPhone went into, um, what is it? Notes or something? Not notes. Um, Uh, the the voice memo. Yeah. Yes. And he auditorily recorded each of my recipes and labeled them for me and created a folder because he's 13 and is techy, right? Um, and now I get the pleasure of listening to his voice at the age of 10 forever, um, reading my recipes. And I can pause them. I can rewind them. I can share them with a friend. And it's just, it's amazing. It's so much easier. So I would totally recommend doing that. Give it a try. And, um, and if you want to try a, a, you know you don't have somebody to record it for you and want to try a recipe just let me know i'll share one of mine
0: with you yeah voice memo is such a wonderful tool it's not called that on my samsung phone but same concept right, right? record these little audio totally. files they're there they're great reminders it's almost as good as a personal assistant almost as good as a personal assistant becky
7: <laughs> almost but it has a
0: cuter little voice <laughs> well yeah definitely a cuter little voice so i know when bennett's involved uh becky one last question on the way out the door let's say you were you to bet. send out some beautiful christmas goodies what's your favorite one to send out
7: uh if it turns out right I like to send out fudge um fudge is like it's a it's a bit of a challenge for me I sometimes goof it up and I've collected a variety of recipes over the years um some work a little bit better than others but I I love fudge I have to say yeah
0: good answer. It doesn't
7: last long in my house though, Dave, like my, my husband, my son and myself. And it's not even December. I'm going to have to do Christmas baking a couple of times. I've yeah. done it once already and uh, it's not, it's gone.
0: I'm, I'm going, I'm going full family feud on this one. Good answer. Good answer. Becky. Thank you. Good thank answer. You. Good answer. <laughs> Becky, thank you for this. Have a great day. I, I, I think this is the last time we're chatting between now and Christmas. So all the best to you yes. and the family.
7: Thank you. Take care and enjoy your holiday season. Thank you so much. Happy baking.
0: Happy baking. I'll try. I promise. If I try something, I'll tag you on Facebook. That's, yes, do it. <laughs> that's entrepreneur Becky Czar talking to you from Regina, Saskatchewan. And a reminder all about the Daily Poll on this topic, what's the best low-cost holiday gift for Baked Goods, Card Crafts. You can get involved at Accessible Media on Twitter at Accessible Media Inc. on Facebook. You can also chime in via email, feedback at AMI.ca or via the telephone, 1-866-509-4545. Coming up after the break, there's a new study about the long-term impacts of playing soccer. So Alex Smythe will share that report and then bring it to the round table with Mizreen, Ramya, and myself. This is Now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. now with Dave Brown on AMI-TV. Nazreen Abdelmajid and Ramya Amuthan are standing by for a roundtable chat. But Alex Smythe, do you want to bring to the table uh, some study about the long-term effects of soccer?
6: Uh, yeah, Dave, it uh, turns out there may be some uh, long-term impacts for, for playing the sport, especially when it comes to doing headers. So Chuck Severson has the findings. Increased heading or hitting a soccer ball with your head has been linked with concussion-like brain function changes and lower verbal learning performance in
4: two studies.
6: They were conducted by researchers at Columbia University and presented at the Radiological Society of North America annual medical conference. In both studies, adult amateur soccer players were categorized in groups of low to moderate headers or high. Brain MRIs were done at the beginning and after two years. Verbal learning was tested after one year. Chuck Sievertson, ABC News news so the link between head headers and 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 kind of impacts on on concussions and, and brain, injury, yeah, brain trauma exactly, brain trauma like it's brain, brain trauma. trauma yeah exactly it's not exactly surprising so to speak because we were well aware of the impact from other sports but I always like have this kind of, I guess, uh, view that soccer is a bit of a safer sport when compared to some of the other ones out there. But I, I wanted to bring this to sort of the roundtable and find out, you know, what people's thoughts are and if this study changes their their perception of soccer. So Romeo, why don't we start with you? You are a soccer player yourself. I don't think you're doing many headers out there, but does this study and these findings kind of change your view on soccer and how safe it is as a sport?
4: Yeah, well, we talk about the comparison of uh, able-bodied slash conventional soccer, like pro soccer, to... Uh, blind soccer right and we've been doing this you know often uh, still waiting on a lot of studies and discussions and conversations around injuries but we know for certain that blind soccer is like top three um para sports for uh, you know worst injuries worst head injuries especially and uh, head trauma concussions all kinds of stuff this way so like there are things being done um to have better absorption Uh, of head trauma so uh, things like the halo which is like a concussion band that you would wear that more and more teams at least in you know international level blind soccer and competitions are starting to require but it's still not enough like it's not enough information so when you ask you know am i surprised not really because we've been paying attention just as i said through the comparison of uh blind soccer to not blind soccer but um I think because like the discrepancy is because soccer is one of the most or is it the most played sport in the world, like the most popular sport in the world. And because of it, we're not necessarily talking about all the the dangerous and terrifying things that people go through. But when you talk to people just anecdotally uh, about their soccer playing, you know, experiences, a lot of people come out talking about major injuries, not necessarily head injuries, but major leg injuries and such. Yeah, they've had to quit.
0: The game for well, yeah I, I remember when I was trying to play, I uh, just regular soccer when I was like five, six years old. A terrible idea, by the way. Like, like terrible idea to put a blind person out there playing regular soccer at yeah. five years old. Uh, I remember they were having us learn to play headers. Now, admittedly, it was the late '80s. It was a different time. But the first time a soccer ball pegged me in the nose, I immediately thought to myself, "This sport is not safe. This sport is ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Like, I like, I'm like, I'm I'm safer playing hockey with with knives on my feet and, and condensed rubber flying around like." Like, like, I never got hurt the way playing hockey, the way I got hurt playing soccer that day. So, Alex, I've always had an opinion that soccer is extremely dangerous to play, and that was only driven home when I was attending some friends playing a rec league soccer game, and my friend's sister had her ankle, like, like broken in half uh, on, yeah. on the side of the field. Like, Nazreen, I, I'm one of these people who always thought it was preposterous that people thought soccer was a safe sport.
8: Uh, that I'm one of those people. I always thought it was safe until the, I, I found out about the study, which is unbelievable to me at the same time. I feel like it wouldn't change a lot of people's opinions about playing the sport itself. I mean, I'm not, I'm not much of an athlete. Everybody knows that. Um, but I did play volleyball back in the day and every time I would hit, excuse me, every time I would hit my head, I would, like it would hurt so bad so i can just thinking about soccer itself because i feel like it's a firmer ball um it i i can't imagine and I, I i understand the trauma uh but i feel like every sport has a risk and and people are willing to take those risks to you know go for their passion go for what they love to do and at the end of the day i feel like uh athletes must Must be like so, so,
0: so, so, I fundamentally agree with you there, Nisarine, that sometimes there is um, assumed risk when you're doing something like this, yeah. but they don't let kids body check in minor hockey till they're 12 or 14 years old because of the danger. There are significant rules about tackle football in the United States and when you can start actually playing tackle football. But Alex, this is where I'm coming back to you and probably the crux of this conversation. This maybe isn't about, are we surprised that soccer is dangerous? But the question is like, at what point should heading be allowed? At what point is there actually informed assumed consent for a young person to chase this passion because, listen, soccer is probably one of the most lucrative sports in the world to become a professional in. I mean, Mbappe was offered a billion dollars by Saudi Arabia to play professional yeah. soccer there.
6: Yeah, exactly, Dave. So I, I think you you made some really good points, and it's, it's really comparing it to how other sports have... Kind of taking the approaches when it comes to the young, the youth in the amateur levels. Uh, so it's like, as you say, with hockey, you know, you're not allowed to check until a certain point, or you have to wear those cages until you're 18 years old uh, on your helmets. These are all ways to help protect the young athletes. Once you become an adult, once you get to a certain level of play, you know, it's up to you to make those decisions. So I think, you know, yeah, do we really need headers in like recreation play? probably Mm -hmm. not and and especially as you get through in those early years so at least until you get to like high school you know kind of follow that peewee hockey kind of mentality of okay how they approach checking and things like that have heading just not allowed in in those sports once you get into higher performance then you can start to really examine it from there I I think that would be a, a good approach especially because in, with these studies, this is all about headers. This is concussions. Your brain is getting rocked when you go with force to hit that ball or that
0: ball hits you in the head. Yeah, yeah, again, on, on, with, with no protection. Sorry, Ramya, go ahead, please. Like, you're the actually only elite soccer player here.
4: Okay, all right, yeah, we're throwing around the word elite now a lot. But listen, I'd, I think that, you know, there is opportunity to reform sport altogether. Yeah, sometimes it takes years and decades. We're seeing it in hockey. We're seeing it in baseball. Uh, not all of these are you know injury or safety um decisions around the sport. But I think that, like, if enough information comes out, if enough people understand what these sports mean, like we think of soccer in one way, right? Like, Nisreen, you know, if you're not necessarily aware of the details of soccer you think of soccer as being one kind of a sport just generically and then if you start learning actually no sport this sport is very dangerous for all these other reasons um I think that that gives people the opportunity to be like, should we be doing this at all? Like, should we be making um, this a penalty conversation rather than, yeah, you know, normalize it. But later on or as it gets more professional, I think that, you know, from the ground up or from grassroots up to professional, there are opportunities to reform sports altogether. Right. Like should we really be saying, yeah, you know, it's okay for the pros to get hit in the head and and suffer injuries? Because remember, these athletes are not playing forever. Like, you're not retiring at 60 and 65, like those of us with desk jobs. Like, you're 30 and done your career. And then on top of that, you're going to deal with all this other stuff for the rest of your life?
0: Well, I think what a lot of the pro players would... Argue, mm. not that I'm one of them. Uh, would argue <laughs> is that there actually is a technique to do heading safely. I, I, I think yeah, you, right. I think you would actually need to do a more in-depth study on more advanced skill-levelled soccer players rather than simply looking at young soccer players who are a little bit willy-nilly. Because again, there is supposed to be parts of your brain, your your head, where you're supposed to head the ball with. But that said, yeah. it's gravity, right? It's gravity and it's competition. You're not always going to hit it with proper technique. So it's I, still- I, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm with you, Ramya. It's very similar to asking these questions of, like, we're taking headshots out of hockey, or trying to take headshots out of mm-hmm. hockey. We're trying to take headshots out of football. Uh, we are not doing that in mixed M- martial arts or boxing, but, like, <laughs> that's the nature of the sport. But, yeah, I, I do think when there's more implied implied, assumed and informed consent, there, there's more room here. But, and I also yeah. think there's stuff you could be doing at the lower levels, because, listen, if you want to build an elite soccer program in Canada, you need to teach your, teach young players how to do Headers, but maybe that's using a much much softer ball in the early right. stages in pr- in practice scenarios rather than game scenarios. I think there's little things you can do, but Rami, I'm, I'm a, I am sort of on side with you. Like to a certain degree, if we're saying you don't want to get hockey players hit in the head, maybe you don't want hockey, soccer players hit in the head either. Like just yeah. period period point finale. Okay, Alex, you put a great question here that I want to make sure we get to on the way out the door. Somebody comes to you, let's say they're a parent. And asks you what sport their young child should play. rumia what are you suggesting?
4: <laughs> I'm just going to say uh, swimming. Something you could do on your own. You know, like, <laughs> do you... <laughs> I don't know about organized sport. I do really enjoy organized sport, though. Like, soccer is something that is very new in my life. But I love it because it's a team sport. And I would want my kids to, to learn. But it i'm so terrified of injuries like truly even further for my kid my potential kid than myself yeah i don't you know
0: i i have no i have no hit points left i could not afford to be tackled on a soccer field we would (laughs) we would definitely have a problem uh this is going to sound like a bit of a counterintuitive answer for me but i'm also going to go with the individual but collective kind of sport uh judo I would have my I would, um, I would tell them yeah. to get their kid involved in a little bit of martial arts. My recommendation would be judo because it tends to be more throw-oriented and, like, submission-hold oriented rather than, like, blows-to-the-head uh, situation. Teachers do a lot of self-discipline, teaches about working together as a team, but also chasing your own individual interests. I think judo would be a really great option for, for a young person looking for an activity uh, to, to build confidence and build athleticism, et cetera, et cetera. Nasreen, what about you? What sport are you recommending for someone to get their kid involved in?
8: Well, my nephew's five and we were indecisive about which sport to put him in. It was either soccer or swimming, and we went for swimming. Thank God. Now that I know this study, <laughs> I just feel like it just doesn't add up to me. I know it's it's dangerous regardless, even for young people. But um swimming was such a success. He's such a pro. He's so cute and it's it gets him moving. He he's a, it's a distraction, so yeah. it's perfect.
0: Swimming's a good one too. Alex, what about you? Last answer. Yeah, you know, I I viewed this
6: as like the major sports available. I think I still suggest soccer, despite these uh, these findings. But I would put in the caveat that there is risk involved, to make sure that you're aware of the risk. But I think uh, if you compare it to basketball, football, hockey soccer probably is still the, the best of those ones available
0: <laughs> actually basketball is a good answer there too in terms of uh, teamwork but uh but yeah th- there can be there can be some dangers in that one too the going up and down uh breaking your ankles and your knees along the way as well alex thank you for bringing this topic to the table Nazarene, have a great day rumya just before i say goodbye to you you are the host of kelly and rumya on ami hitting the airwaves at 2 p.m eastern time what's the top line item on the show today
4: Oh, okay, Gut Health with Frances Wong on our wellness segment. She wants to tell us all about it. We are not doing well with gut health uh, So across the table. So okay. <laughs> we <will. laughs> We have a lot to learn.
0: Yeah, I uh, was in desperate search of some fiber when I was making my dinner last night. I was like, there's no vegetables in my house. So I opened up a can of beans. So hopefully hopefully oh. that gave me a little bit of fiber yeah. along the way here. Uh, Ramya, thank you for this. Have a great day. You too, Dave. That is Ramya Emuthan coming up after the break. It's the Weekly News Quiz. This is Now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. Now with Dave Brown on AMI TV. It's Tuesday. It's the end of the show. Let's wrap things up with the weekly news quiz. That is right. The news quiz on a Tuesday, an institution that predates the existence of Now with Dave Brown. Let's bring in the contestants, the co-host of the show, Alex Smythe. Hello again, Alex. Hello, hello. From AMI's human resources department, it's Alicia Yardley. Hello. And content development specialist, Karen McGee. Hello, Karen. Good morning. All right, let's jump right into things with the rules. You need rules to play a game or else what are you doing? There are three rounds of questions with three questions per round. Each question comes with three multiple choice options. If you answer the question without hearing the options, you get two points. If you need to hear the options, you get one. If you get it wrong, I mock you a little bit and move on until the point is awarded. The order of contestants was drawn by Mary Daniel, wife of producer Paul Daniel. The order will be Alicia, Karen, and Alex, so, Alicia, the first question and first round all comes from International News. British cabinet member Laura Trott is in hot water. She says a particular group of people should work from home and do their duty. What group is she referring to?
10: Oh, that's a good question. Uh, Can I take the options, please?
0: Is it refugees, expectant mothers, or people with disabilities?
10: I'm going to say people with disabilities.
0: That is correct. One point for Alicia Yardley. Hundreds of thousands of people with disabilities will be told to look for work that they can do from home or face having their benefits cut by up to $8,000 a year. So one point for Alicia. Over to Karen with question number two. U.S. President Joe Biden celebrated his 81st birthday last week. He's the oldest president in the country's history. Who is the second oldest president to have served in office or who was the second oldest president to hold office
1: i think i know but i'm gonna take the choices
0: is it ronald reagan donald trump or dwight d eisenhower
1: i was gonna say trump
0: that is incorrect alex is it reagan or eisenhower i'm gonna go with reagan that is correct. Reagan was just short of his 78th birthday when he left the White House. Okay, Alex, that's one point for you tied up with Alicia and an opportunity to pick up the last question of round number one. Hirth Wilders won a European country's election last week. What nation is it? Uh, the Netherlands, state. Wow, two, Alex, picking that one right off, the, right off the pick. How'd you know that?
6: Uh, because I, I, I kind of uh, re- remember hearing that the Netherlands had a election uh, within the last week, and there was a lot
0: of controversy about the candidate and okay. uh, a okay. lot of vocalized views, so that I... Wow, okay, Alex Alex Smythe, particularly interested in Dutch politics. Uh, who'd, who'd have thunk it? Uh, while having won the election, he will need to develop a coalition with other parties to form the government because Europe actually uses proportional representation, an actual form of democracy. Imagine that. Okay, after one round, Alex has three points. Alicia has one. Karen's still sitting on the goose egg. But Karen, you get the first question of round number two. And all these questions are going to be related to Canadian news last week a Canadian city revoked fashion designer Peter Nygaard's key to the city following his sexual assault convictions what city is it Toronto that is incorrect Uh. Alex do you want options or do you want to take a wing at this Uh, options please Dave is it Edmonton Toronto or Winnipeg I was thinking originally Calgary so I'll go Edmonton that is incorrect Alicia, I'm giving you the default points on this one. It was Winnipeg. Nygaard received to the key to the city in 2008. So after uh, that question, that puts Alex at three, Alicia at two, Karen's still sitting at the goose egg. And Alex, here's a chance to stretch out your lead. Canada's Evan McCuchran earned his first career World Cup gold medal in ski slope style after the finals were cancelled in Austria. Why were the finals cancelled? I have no no idea, Dave, so can I get the options, please? Was it too little snow, too much rain, or severe winds?
6: Mm, uh, I'm going to go
0: with too much wind. Severe wins. That is correct. One point for Alex Smythe. Skiing's international governing body chose to award podium places based on the only runs it was able to squeeze in. On Thursday. So there you go. A gold medal by default. That's the way we like it. So Alex is at four. Alicia's at two. Karen's on the goose egg. Alicia, an opportunity here, though, for you to get right back into this game. Canadian businessman George Cohen passed away last week. He helped open a U.S. fast food company's franchises in Canada. What fast food franchise is it?
5: Uh, Can I get the options?
0: Was it McDonald's, KFC, or Burger King? Burger King? That is incorrect. Karen, a chance for a steal? It was McDonald's. That is correct. One point for Karen McGee on the board. Cohen also founded the Ronald McDonald House Charities Canada in the 1980s. Cohen's work with that organization helped him become a member of the Order of Canada in 1988. So after two rounds, we've got Alex at four, Alicia at two, Karen at one. Anybody's game going into the last round, Alex, you get the first question here a nigerian music fan said they were surprised to get a reply in pigden from a pop star the fan complained on social media that their world tour was not visiting the country which pop star was it um i'm gonna take a wild guess taylor swift that is incorrect alicia do you want the options or do you want to take a swing at this
5: i'm gonna ask for the options
0: is it Bruce Baclarian's favorite, Dua Lipa? Is it Nicki Minaj or Madonna? Ooh, um, I'm going to guess Madonna. That is incorrect. Uh, we got a chance for a Karen to pick up a steal here. Uh, Dua Lipa. That is incorrect. I oh, get Dave the,
1: Brown gets a point. I get
0: the default points. I'm ah. now I'm now tied. I'm now tied with Karen. This is very exciting. No, you're
4: beating me, I think, aren't you? No, you
0: still you still have one point on the board, don't you? Well, do I have
4: one point? I don't uh, think so. I think do you, I? Okay. I thought oh, I did McDonald's. You're right. You're yeah, right. You're sorry. You're yeah. right.
0: Come on now. We've always got I'll McDonald's. Stop talking. Karen, you and I always have a little bit of McDonald's. Uh okay. Over to question number two of round number two. This one is headed over to Alicia. A think tank study by Polera, shows that Ontario has been found to be the second angriest province in the country. What <laughs> province is the angriest in the country?
5: I'm shocked that it's not Ontario. Um, can I get the options, please?
0: Is it Saskatchewan, Alberta, or Manitoba?
5: Oh. I'm going to say...
0: Alberta. That is correct. One point for Alicia as uh, Polaris' annual rage index tracks the mood of Canadians regarding government, economy and current events surprise, surprise that it's uh, Alberta if they're asking questions about the uh, government, Uh, not to editorialize too much. So that's a big answer there by Alicia because that puts her within one point of Alex Smythe going into the last question but Karen McGee gets first crack at this one. Karen, Canada's privacy commissioner is investigating a cyber attack that targeted companies that provided a service to federal employees what is the
3: service uh i'll take the choices please
0: is it language lessons relocation services or mental health supports i'll say mental health supports that is incorrect alex a chance for a steal to put this game away I'll say um, relocation supports. Boom. Alex gets it, gets the point and gets the win. The cyber attack targeted a pair of firms that provided services to military, federal police, and foreign service members relocating both across the country and around the world. And with that, the winner is... Noted Dutch political insider Alex Smythe. Hey, now, I I don't need that title.
6: Otherwise, I'm going to have to actually know some of the politics and the ins and outs of the Dutch uh, uh, government, which I have no clue about. I only know they had an election, Dave.
0: Of the four people in this conversation, though, you have been the closest to the Netherlands in the last month or so. So I think just by proximity, you win.
6: That is fair. That is fair. That is a, a fair point. Being in Germany is, yeah, is you know, so pretty much counts as being uh, insider on, on Dutch politics.
0: Yeah, It's all Europe. You know, Europe's just one thing, unless you're in England or maybe in Eastern Europe. But you know what? Let's leave yeah. that for a different story, a different show as well. <laughs> Alex, thank you for this. Have a great day. Thank you, Dave. Alicia Yardley, great effort by you. Thank you. Thank you. And Karen McGee, thank you for the notes you send me during commercial breaks with your hockey conspiracy <laughs> theories
1: it's not a conspiracy it'll be true watch mark my words
0: so uh, unreported rumor and innuendo uh, Karen McGee thinks Patrick Waugh will be the new head coach of the Ottawa Senators sooner rather than later and I'm kind of into that but maybe uh, Karen and I can have that conversation on another day just like you and I can have a conversation on another day because that's all the time there is for the show I'll be back again tomorrow morning at 9 a.m. Eastern time until then I'm Dave Brown reminding you to play safe play fair but don't forget to have some fun